Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And uh, this week I want to talk a little bit about royalty certainly been in the news with the passing of Queen Elizabeth and all the hoopla regarding uh, King Charles, etc. And I had a chance to actually meet him. So I thought, well, this week I'm going to talk about uh, members of royalty that I have uh, rubbed shoulders with and also various world leaders that I've either met or at least seen in person or in one case personally pissed off. And so that's this week on Hollywood and Levine. So King Charles, now King Charles, but uh, way back in 1978, he was still Prince Charles. And I was working on MASH and we got word that Prince Charles was in Los Angeles and wanted to see MASH, wanted to be on the stage of MASH. So we were all very excited about that. The truth, the actual truth, yes, he wanted to see MASH, but he really wanted to see Charlie's Angels. Mm -hmm. That's the real reason why he went to the 20th Century Fox lot. So they figured out his route on the lot, his motorcade and what it would see. And, And this is a true story, I swear to God, they only repainted the sides of the building that would be visible to him in his motorcade. (laughs) Okay, if there was a wall that he would not see, ah, they didn't bother with it. But if it was something that he would drive by, it was freshly painted. So he goes to uh, Charlie's Angels. I don't know what he does there. And then he comes to the set of MASH, and we had been briefed as to uh, how to conduct ourselves, the correct protocol, etc., etc. And we were all in a receiving line, and he comes in, and first there's the cast, and he says hello and shakes everybody's hand, and we were told not really to say much to him, just pleasure to meet you, etc., etc. They were so afraid that we would say the wrong thing. They were actually afraid of me. 
So finally, he comes down the line, and he gets to me, and I shake his hand, and I don't know why, but I said, uh, excuse me, what advice would you give young people thinking of getting into your profession? The, the, his handlers were just horrified, absolutely gobsmacked. But he laughed, probably because well, I was a writer on MASH, but he laughed and took it in good nature. And then we, we showed him a scene. He got to be on hand for the filming of a scene. And the actors were all there. I remember it was like a, an OR scene. And we did the scene. The actors went through it. And, you know, it was like, all right, sound ready, camera, sound, here we go, pictures up, blah, blah, blah. And they did the scene. And he was very impressed. When the scene was over, the director said, cut, print, moving on, love it, great. And then Prince Charles left. What he didn't know was that there was no film in the camera. We just staged this for his benefit. So that was my encounter with now King Charles. But I also, I didn't get a chance to meet her, but I did see in person Queen Elizabeth in Baltimore. How many people can say that? Actually, about 40,000, because that's the number of people who were in the stands at Memorial Stadium that night in 1991, when I was broadcasting for the Baltimore Orioles, and Queen Elizabeth came to the ball game. Now, she was escorted to the game by the first President Bush, and uh, they were staying in the owner's box. And again, we didn't get a chance to actually meet them. Uh, she did go down to the field before the game and met Cal Ripken and a couple of the ball players. But, you know, have heavy, heavy security around her. Uh, you know, I was not, as the announcer, able to just uh, swing by and go, hello, your majesty. No, no. So, we're on the air, and we're doing the game, me and my partner, John Miller, and I come on in the third inning. And one of the features that I always had in the third inning was that I had to read the SK out-of-town scoreboard. So I said, as a goof, uh, just in case um, Queen Elizabeth is listening, I know they were in the owner's box, I said, uh, you are welcome to come on over and I'll have you do the SK out of town scoreboard, which is a tremendous honor because we don't let anybody do the SK out of town scoreboard, but we will let you read the out of town scores brought to you by SK hot dogs. Well, what I didn't know is that our broadcast was piped into their booth. And she paid no attention to it. I, I don't even think she knew what the hell was going on at this game. But President Bush did. And he heard it. And he was pissed. And sent somebody from his party to uh, come into our booth at the end of that half inning. And the guy said, no, 
don't don't do any of that. Don't do any of that. The game is on in the uh, in the owner's box. You know, and the president is really pissed. And I thought, wow, cool. How many people actually get to piss off the president of the United States? If only I could do that with Trump. So that was my encounter with Queen Elizabeth. Now, I have seen a number of U.S. presidents also at ballparks, which is, I guess, the way to see them in a sense. Uh, Obviously, I saw that President Bush, Bush Sr., and then I saw W., at uh, Rangers Park when I was doing the Mariners, when I went to a Rams game at the L.A. Coliseum way back in the late 60s, I saw President Nixon. That was not much of a big whoop, certainly for me. I saw Clinton throughout the first pitch at uh, then Jacobs Field, the brand-new park by the Cleveland then-Indians. I also got a chance to see him uh, speak. Uh, He gave a speech in Los Angeles that I attended for God knows how much uh, donation for that thing. But he was just super charming. He was was great. Uh, Yeah, I paid a lot, but I didn't pay enough to afterwards get a chance to take my picture with him, and and shake his hand. I, I paid enough to see him speak. That was, that was fine. Also, when I was doing the San Diego Padres, again, this was back in the 90s, and the Braves were playing at old Fulton County Stadium, which is now two stadiums ago, he used to come down and sit pretty much right behind the first base dugout and our booth was on the first base side and he would sit on the aisle he would get there very early he was usually there for batting practice and he would just sit on the aisle and I guess there were secret service guys around I never really saw him but I saw him and Rosalind and kids would come down with their programs and and he would sign them and it was kind of fun to watch parents say to their kids, they'd point them out and they'd go, that was former president of the United States right there, president of the United States. Yeah, get his autograph. And the kid, of course, is going, I don't know who this old guy is. No, no, this is really important. This is very exciting. You can get his autograph. Like, oh, okay. But he was very nice, very accessible. Like I said, you just like walk down the aisle and and talk to him. That was great. I got a chance to meet President Carter in the Oval Office at the White House. Thank you very much. This was uh, we talked about this uh, in a previous podcast, but my partner David Isaacs and I had this pilot for ABC that was centered around the White House press corps. And as a result of that, we were able to get a temporary White House press pass, and we spent about four days at the White House 
hanging out with the reporters doing research. That's where he got a chance to actually meet President Carter. And my two big memories of that experience was at one point I was in the press room and David and I were talking to Sam Donaldson, who was the White House correspondent for ABC News back in those days. We are talking 1980 now. We're going back a ways. And the press corps, they don't get a chance to just like wander around the halls. No, they are pretty much stuck together as a group. And if there is an event, like a speech in the Rose Garden, then in mass, they all, like a herd, uh, get marched off to the Rose Garden. Most of the time, they are stuck in that press room. So that's where we were with Sam Donaldson. And he was great telling us stories. And, oh, man, he was a tremendous resource for us. And this was like about 12.45 in the afternoon, and at 1 o'clock, President Carter was going to make some remarks out on the Rose Garden, and he had the Premier of Pakistan with him. And so at 12.50, all of the reporters, all of the print and TV and radio journalists all were herded out of the press room onto the Rose Garden where there was rope set up and they were there poised to hear President Carter's remarks. So we're about to go and Sam Donaldson says, no, 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 just just stay. Just just stay. And we're like, well, um, okay. Uh, And he continues to tell us stories. And the press room is now completely empty. And finally, he looks at his watch, and it's like 12.59. And he says, okay, let's go. So the three of us walk out to the Rose Garden, and Sam walks right in front. And, of course, we just follow him. We're like, yeah, we're, we're with him. He's like right in front stands right behind the rope, and he is as close to President Carter as I am to you if you're listening to this podcast in the car and I'm coming out of a dashboard speaker. And so he gets set up, and he takes out a little pad and a little pen Meanwhile, President Carter is just standing there, kind of watching him, waiting to go. He's standing next to the premier of Pakistan or whatever his rank. And and finally, Sam Donaldson, once he's ready, he looks up at the president of the United States and goes, okay, go. (laughs) And Carter did. It's like, Wow. So that's memory number one. And memory number two was we got a chance to go on a campaign swing with President Carter for a day. We went off to Andrews Air Force Base and we got on the press plane 
And first we flew to Dayton, Ohio, where he spoke at some town hall meeting in a large auditorium downtown. Then we got back on the plane and we flew to Philadelphia. And this time it was a town hall meeting in someone's backyard in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, something like that. And so the press, we're all herded into the backyard. And again, there's like a roped off area for us. Uh, And there was maybe 20 or 30 people who I guess were big Democratic donors, whatever, who were sitting on card chairs uh, in the backyard. And one woman had made a giant tray of cookies, homemade cookies. And (laughs) she stupidly left the tray close enough to the rope that they were reachable by the press. And, of course, within 12 seconds, just like all of the cookies were gone. None of the guests had cookies. The guy from the Chicago Sun-Times was eating four of them. But it seems so surreal to me that here's the president of the United States. Here I am in the backyard of somebody's home who I don't know in a suburb of Philadelphia. I have no idea how to get there. There is the leader of the free world sitting on a stool in this backyard, and you can see there's like a small fence leading to the alley, and there's all these trash cans. And, of course, the helicopters are circling above. And it's just like so weird. What am I doing here? This is like completely surrealistic. So those are my two memories with President Carter. More in a moment, but uh, first I want to take a moment and uh, talk about today's sponsor, which is Honey. Now, you know what Honey is, of course. It is the free browser extension that scours the internet for promo codes and it applies the best ones it finds to your cart. It's supported by over 30,000 stores online and they range from everything that you really need. They have tech products, gaming products, popular fashion brands, even home food delivery. And it's so simple to use. By the way, I should mention at this point that it's free It's absolutely free. But you're shopping online, and you finally go to the checkout, and the Honey button drops down, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. Wait a couple of seconds. It does its thing. It finds the coupons that apply. And so you see your total just go down and down and down and down. It really works. Uh, I used it just last week, and I saved over $9 buying a couple of children's books for my granddaughters, Becca and Charlotte. So uh, it's free, like I said, and it has saved its 17 million members over $2 billion. 
So what are you waiting for? Because if you don't already have honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. It's literally free. It installs in just a few seconds. Even I was able to install it. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this podcast. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Levine. Once again, that's joinhoney.com slash Levine. And again, it is free. Okay, now back to me. Another president I met was Gerald Ford. And this was at the end of MASH, they held a big party, a big farewell dinner at Morton's Restaurant in Beverly Hills. It was a Saturday night affair, and it was very swank. And all of the cast and all of the writers, uh, a lot of dignitaries were there, a lot of uh, 20th Century Fox upper executives and board members, things like that. And Bobby Short was hired to play piano. And if you know anything about uh, the New York cabaret jazz scene, you know that Bobby Short, eh, that's a big deal. People paid a lot of money to see him at the Carlisle or wherever he used to play. So I am standing around the piano and I'm listening to Bobby Short, and I look to my right, and standing right next to me is Gerald Ford. I'm thinking, what the hell are you doing here? Apparently, he was a board member of 20th Century Fox, so he was there at the party. And uh, he kind of moved off after a song, and I kind of moved off along with him, and I just started talking to him, and I talked to him for probably 15, 20 minutes. He just seemed like a regular guy. And as I'm talking to him, it's like I'm looking into his face, and I'm constantly reminded, um, this was the President of the United States. You're chatting with the President of the United States. All of these things seem very, very surreal. I never met Obama, but he said in some interview that MASH was his favorite show. So I do have an in if I ever do meet him, although I do fear that I say, yeah, I worked on MASH, and he'll go, oh, um, I don't know where you got that, that MASH was my favorite show. I've actually never really seen it, and I'll be standing there, and it will be a very awkward moment. I never met Ronald Reagan, but for a long time, he lived in the Palisades, and I used to see his motorcade. There's a great Ronald Reagan story I want to tell you. This is after he was president, and where I live near UCLA there is a small park called Homeby Park. And there's a sandbox area and equipment for kids and also a lot of picnic area. 
And a writer friend of mine, who at the time had probably a four or five-year-old, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and and he was with his son, who was playing on all of the equipment. And sitting on a bench was Ronald Reagan. And the little boy like walked by, and President Reagan said something, you know, he liked the way he was on the jungle gym. I don't know what he said. But the little boy then went over, and Reagan was talking to him. And they were chatting for about four or five minutes. And I guess Reagan was asking, do you go to school? Or I don't know, again, what, what he was asking. You know, but my friend was standing off to the side, and <laughs> like, okay, this is pretty cool. So an ice cream truck pulls up. And Reagan sees the truck, and he says to, I guess, one of the Secret Service guys there, um, hey, there's a ice cream truck. Go get an ice cream. So he does. The Secret Service guy returns with the ice cream, and, you know, of course, my friend is going, oh, man, President Reagan bought my kid an ice cream. So they bring the ice cream to Reagan, and Reagan starts eating it. <laughs> it was not for the kid at all, nor did he say, you know, get a couple, maybe, you know, for another 65 cents. I, I guess whatever presidents get for a pension is not really terrific. Uh, I did meet a couple of vice presidents. Dan Quayle, when, uh, again, I was calling Orioles games, this was opening day, and Dan Quayle threw out the first pitch. And I find that there are dogs coming into the booth, sniffing around for bombs or whatever. Nobody tells me this in advance. Again, I'm going on doing the third inning. But right before I go on the air, I'm told, oh, uh, the vice president is going to come on with you this half inning. I'm like, though, what is going to, huh? And as I say that, Dan Quayle is led into the booth. And my partner gets up and leaves, and he sits down at his microphone. And, okay, there's, I, I've not prepared anything uh, this was my first half inning of my first game doing Major League Baseball. I'd done spring training, but in terms of regular season games that counted, this was my first. And here I've got to interview Dan Quayle. So I come on and I interview him, and I don't remember that much of what I asked him, although I do remember at one point... I said, okay, so it's late at night, and you're in the White House with the president. You know, you kind of have a drink after a long day. And Do you ever just say, what do you think the Orioles' chances are this year? And he goes, well, you know, we're fans of all teams and everything. It's like, yeah, okay, you wimped out on that. So I do my half-inning 
interview with Dan Quayle, shake his hand, and off he goes. So I call the radio station, and I say, you know, it would be a nice keepsake. Uh, do you have a tape of that half inning? If so, could you send it to me? It would be nice to have. And they said, sure. So I get a copy of the tape, and I listen back to it, and I realize, and I didn't know this at the time, but throughout the entire interview, I just kept referring to him as Dan, <laughs> which is probably horribly disrespectful. But, yeah, you know, Dan Quayle, back then, people didn't think all that much of Dan Quayle. And so, yeah, the whole time, as if he's like my buddy. I'm calling him Dan. And again, we all thought of him as a joke, but who knew that years later, in many ways, uh, he would be responsible for saving the democracy when Mike Pence called him and consulted him on this issue of overturning the election. And Dan Quayle said, no, you can't do that. You have no authority, no legal authority at all to do that. And supposedly that was really the turning point for Mike Pence. So we have Dan Quayle to thank for that. I saw Hubert Humphrey at UCLA. He was speaking, and I got him to sign a KLA Supersound survey, which was our campus radio station. I also had a chance to see some candidates. Okay, that's pretty exciting. Uh, Michael Dukakis, when Michael Dukakis was the governor of Massachusetts, this was uh, during the 80s, and Cheers was very popular. And at one point, we went back for the 200th episode, and we spent a few days in Boston. And one of the activities was to go up to the governor's office and and meet the governor. And one of the writers had brought his uh, daughter, his teenage daughter, along on the trip, and she was there too. And Michael Dukakis signed an excuse to uh, give to her teacher, excusing her for her absence uh, for the day because she was helping out the governor of Massachusetts. He was a very cool guy. We also used him in a teaser, and he was uh, in the uh, party the last night when we were all back at uh, at the Bull and Finch Bar. He was part of that uh, soiree. And then years later, he, I guess, took a year off, you know, after running and losing for president. Uh, he took a year off and was a visiting professor at UCLA teaching poli-sci classes. And one day I was walking at UCLA, and there he was, walking his dog. Again, you know, a guy who one time ran for president of the United States, and he's just, you know, walking along uh, with his dog, no one bothering him or anything. So I went up and I said hello and reminded him that we had met and that I had been part of Cheers, etc., etc. He couldn't have been nicer, and he even he even claimed to remember me, which was very sweet, but <laughs> not a chance. And the other foreign leader who I got a chance to meet, notice how 
all of these are under bizarre circumstances. But the other world leader I got a chance to meet one night, I'm in New York City, and I have dinner at Smith and Walensky's, which is like 3rd Avenue and I believe 49th. And when I'm done with dinner, I go out to the front, go out to the street to try to hail a cab, and standing right next to me, to my left, I think he was waiting for his car. I don't think he had to actually hail a cab the way I did, but it was Gorbachev, Gorbachev who just passed away. And it was so clearly him because he had that bizarre birthmark, looks like, you know, a map of Albania or something on, on his forehead. So it was clearly him. And again, you know, not surrounded by anybody, just like, hey, bud, <laughs> You know, it's like I'm standing next to Gorbachev. And so those are my brushes with royalty and uh, world leaders. Hope you enjoyed it. And that will do it for this edition of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to John Wolfert and Bruce and Jason Miller. Uh, I don't have a blog anymore, but you can follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine. I am also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And on Instagram, I showcase some of my cartoons. If you want to get in touch, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Again, that's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Thanks so much for listening. Hope to see you back next week right here on Hollywood and Levine. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.